Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning, brethren. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the most important time in all of human history. It is a sequence of events that have changed everything, including us. As we review it together, based on the account of an eyewitness, I would like to invite you to pay close attention to what happened and see if you can determine who was actually responsible for all that was happening, for all of it. And we're going to be referring to chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark. The chapter begins with Jesus being taken to Pilate, to Pontius Pilate. Jesus' night trial by the Sanhedrin that was just prior to this was illegal for several reasons, not the least of which was the use of false witnesses, but several other reasons as well. Partly because of that, the Sanhedrin officials met again at first light and made their decision to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor in Palestine, in Judea. Then Pilate decided to question Jesus. And the one question he asked is, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the only offense that the uh, religious leaders thought would be of interest to Pilate was the accusation of sedition and treason against Rome and the emperor. Claiming to be the king of the Jews would certainly accomplish that. So they accused Jesus of claiming to be the king of the Jews and fomenting sedition and treason against Rome and the emperor. Pilate was interested indeed in that accusation and asked Jesus directly, are you the king of the Jews? Now that was an emphatic way of asking the question. And interestingly enough, Jesus replied with an emphasis of his own, you say it. Although in a sense that was true, it was not what Pilate was concerned about at all. And of course, Jesus' answer, answer remained ambiguous, of course. The chief priests, having realized that Jesus did not really address that and did not compromise himself in front of Pontius Pilate, then advanced many other harsh accusations. But at this point, Jesus did not answer. Now, Roman law did not regard the silence of an accused as an admission of guilt. And it makes me wonder how many lies and accusations, even today, are directed to God and the Lord Jesus. In many ways, it seems like humanity would rather accuse God than themselves. Then, according to this eyewitness account, there was the pardoning 
of a prisoner. It was customary for leaders to pardon an individual as a gesture of clemency on the day prior to the great feast. Now that would have been a great opportunity to extend mercy to an innocent who was accused, but it was actually innocent. And yet that did not happen. Now, can you see yet who was responsible for all this? Keep wondering. Now enter the scenes a man named Barabbas. Unlike Jesus, Barabbas was guilty of a violent insurrection. In fact, he committed murder in the course of that insurrection. He was dangerous. He was violent. But also contrary to Jesus, he did not have a large following. So they, he was of less concern to the Jewish leaders than Jesus. It was because of the great following that Jesus had. Now, Pontius Pilate, well, he maintained the tradition and was going to release a prisoner on the day prior to the great feast. So he asked the people, in essence, who, who do you want me to release? Now, you see, the crowds can be very easily stirred up and can be very easily influenced to believe almost anything, even a lie. That is true in the past, as well as in the present. And when that happens, it can be very dangerous. They will not follow what is true or what is right, because they won't take the time to analyze that, but they will do what everyone else around them does. Now, Pilate knew that it was the there was envy that moved the chief priests to want Jesus dead. It was the same envy that motivated them when they instigated the crowds to pervert justice and ask for the release of a violent insurrectionist and the execution of an innocent man. So then, who was responsible for all of this happening. We continue in the passage, in the account of this eyewitness, with Pontius Pilate asking a very important question, what evil has he done? It is almost unbelievable to hear that Pilate was the one who attempted to convince the crowds of the innocence of Jesus. And it was because, as he stated, he found no reason for the execution of this man. Pilate attempted asking the questions, what is the great crime? What evil has he done that would deserve execution? But the crowds shouted, crucified him. Crowds, when aroused and provoked, can be profoundly cruel. At times it's out of fear of being spotted out by maybe by the person next to, to you and, and, or, or around an individual and the fear of getting in trouble. And so if the others are shouting, well, I better be shouting too. At times it may be because of collective prejudice and hatred. 
or it could be because of the direct influence of respected leaders. Still, whatever the reason, they shouted. And they shouted quite loudly, crucify him. Now, to please the crowd, Pilate eventually released Barabbas. Now, that was a, a behavior worthy of a politician. It doesn't matter who is right or innocent, as long as it fits with the political strategy, it will do. So, he had Jesus scourged. Hmm. Can you see who is responsible now? But keep looking. Because after this, we find that Jesus was mocked in different ways, insulted in different ways, and of course, severely beaten and hurt. But that eyewitness account says he was dressed in purple. A curious comment or a curious detail. Unless we understand that the purple dye was very expensive in those days, and it was a symbol, because of the being so expensive, it was a symbol of very high rank and royalty. Obviously, here the soldiers intended it as an insult to Jesus, mocking him as this supposed to be king, and obviously putting him down. Then they formed a crown of thorns. Now, thorns always had a negative meaning, of course. They were associated with worthlessness, something to be discarded and burned. And were often referred to as symbols of punishment or torture, as well as judgment. And in the Bible, especially in reference to Israel. It was meaningful that the crown made for Jesus was one made of thorns. For as a mockery, it would add to the suffering of the scourging and to the humiliation of these supposed to be, according to the Roman soldiers that were persecuting him, supposed to be king. Yet the meaning was also appropriate. And it was appropriate because it was taking the punishment and the worthlessness of sinful humanity on himself. Unknown to them, that action actually spoke the truth in symbolic terms. Unaware of what they were doing, they proclaimed that the King of Kings had come to take upon himself the pain and the shame of human sin. sin. He was not a conquering Lord. He was a redeeming Lord. Now, as they take him to be crucified, Jesus had to carry his own cross. And so, the eyewitness tells us that a man named Simon of Cyrene enters into the account, enters into the scene of, of the events that were taking place. Now, Cyrene was a town in North Africa with a large Jewish community, so it was not unusual that some people from Cyrene would come to Jerusalem. Simon of Cyrene was specifically identified by the eyewitness, Mark, not only as Simon, 
but also as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Very specific statement, very specific identification. And Simon was commanded by the Roman soldiers to help carry the cross of Jesus. You can see that Jesus beaten, flogged, um, having gone through flagellation and having gone through all the beating, was already weak, too weak to carry the cross like others would. On the way, some women offered him wine mixed with myrrh. This was a mixture believed to have narcotic effects. Some of the good women in, in Jerusalem would offer that mixture to those who were to be executed as an act of mercy, based on what the book of Proverbs would tell them to do, as an act of mercy to give a strong drink to the one who's about to die so that they will, well, maybe numb the pain. The fact, however, is that Jesus refused that mixture. And by doing so, he made a conscious choice, a willful choice, to endure the full force of pain and agony. For it was the pain of humanity that he took on himself. And he did not want to numb it. He had to experience it, and he chose to experience every ounce of it. Now, Mark, the eyewitness account, says they crucified him. It's a very short statement. And it almost seems like it's a statement about something that is marginal or in importance. Not much is stated. The Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross and hang him there to suffer a very slow death. And as they did that, then they cast lots for his garments. That was one of the many, many details in fulfillment of ancient prophecies about Messiah. This one was found in Psalm 22. That was written in the days of King David, centuries before these events. And a psalm that Jesus would then refer to later, as we will see. Now, Mark, again, in a very short statement, tells us that it was the third hour. That was roughly around, more or less, around 9 a.m., give or take. But it was a very specific reference to times and events, a specific and accurate witness, an accurate account from a witness. Then the witness here tells us about the inscription of the charges that were placed over the head of Jesus. It was customary actually to post a note above the head of a person executed stated the crime for which he was punished. In this case, however, it was interesting, interesting because Pilate posted that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Now, he didn't say that he claimed that. No, he simply posted the king of the Jews. Perhaps that was intended as a mockery 
or an insult to the Jews. But maybe unknown to Pontius Pilate, it actually stated the truth in a way that they could not even begin to imagine. Then we're told that he was numbered with transgressors. Now the term translated with robbers of bandits, if you remember, he was crucified by the word two other individuals that were crucified next to him. And the term that is translated here from the Greek with robbers, or in some versions, bandits, is the same term that the contemporary historian Josephus used to refer to revolutionaries. So while we don't know exactly who they were, it is possible that two, the, the, the two others that had been crucified with Jesus had been captured with Barabbas as part of that sedition, that, that uh, attempt to a revolution. But again, what makes it relevant is was a fulfillment of ancient prophecy again. What comes next is the people passing by were hurling abuses and insults at Jesus. Once again, we find the chief priests and the scribes taking the lead in mocking Jesus, followed by the crowds, of course. Their demand was as ignorant as preposterous. They said, well, you have claimed to save others. Well, save yourself. You see, if he actually did that, that would deny the very purpose for the coming of Messiah. But in their mockery, unwillingly, maybe unknowingly, they stated the truth that Jesus had come to save others, not himself. He offered himself to carry on himself the very sin of humanity, the very shame of humanity, the very punishment that humanity deserves. Now our witness tells us it was the sixth hour. And on the sixth hour of the day, approximately 12 noon, darkness was all over the land. Now, of course, darkness at noon would have been extremely unusual. But three hours of darkness, because it was dark from the sixth to the ninth hour, would not be accounted by anything, not even an eclipse. It wouldn't last three hours. But darkness had long been used to signify judgment. And here it was the judgment that humanity deserves, which was upon him to be carried by him to the very extreme. And that's amazing. Then the witness tells us comes the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice the very beginning words of Psalm 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Mark re records it in Aramaic. There's a chance that Jesus said it in, in Hebrew. 
Some people misunderstood. Maybe the noise of the crowd, or maybe they weren't listening carefully, or maybe Jesus was already weakened by all of that, not to the point of not being able to speak all that clearly. But what is important is that at the time of prayer, this, Psalm 22, was often recited during the hour of prayer. It's almost like Jesus starts reciting that psalm as part of his prayer. But it is particularly interesting the fact that Psalm 22 records a vivid description of the details of these events. And it was written, as we said earlier, during the days of King David, centuries before all these things were happening. And yet, they're described in detail from Jesus' perspective. Then, our witness tells us that while they were mocking Jesus, they took some vinegar, sour wine vinegar, and offered it to him. Now, Jewish tradition stated that Elijah would come in times of distress to save the righteous who suffer. And so some people, perhaps misunderstanding the very first few words of Psalm 22, they said that he was calling for Elijah. They offered him some vinegar, maybe in the attempt to prolong his life and see, or to mock him actually, not as an act of mercy, by the way, but to see if Elijah would come to save him, teasing him, even at that moment. Then, a short statement. Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died. Now, once again, it seems like Mark is not giving details here. It almost seems like he's talking about a marginal event, but it, it really wasn't. He gets right to the point and simply states that Jesus died. But as little or marginal as this may appear to be, it actually, the statement encompasses the profound meaning that the Lord God, the source of all life, was willing to experience death. Think about that for a moment. The Lord God, who is the source of all life, was willing to experience death. And he did that, not for himself, but for humanity. Right at the moment when Jesus died, the veil of a temple was torn. Now, that was the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple that was torn open. Now, the Holy of Holies was the most sacred place in the temple. No one could enter that except for the high priest once a year to offer an atonement for sin and only behind a, a, a symbolic veil of smoke. Mm -hmm. What separates us from God? They were represented. It was represented by that veil. It was now removed and it was removed forever. 
That's a very important detail as well. But then the last statement in, that we are looking at, it was a centurion who actually made a comment as he has seen Jesus on the cross and has seen as the way that Jesus died, he stated, truly, this man was the Son of God. And it is ironic that it was a Roman soldier, a centurion, who first stated that Jesus indeed was the Son of God. It was a Gentile, not a Jew, who recognized that fact from the way that Jesus faced his death. So have you figured out yet who was responsible for all these events? You see, Jesus was not a victim. He had come to assume our humanity and in so doing to redeem it. And part of that mission was to die and overcome death for us. And that's what he did. Not only as the sacrificial lamb they had to be offered, they had to be sacrificed. But that's the high priest who offered, who sacrificed that lamb. While he was actually in, in control of everything that happened, as we can see from the other Gospels from Scripture, we see here that it was the sins of many that were contributing to the intended outcome of his sacrifice. We find here the sins of the religious leaders, the sins of the false witnesses, the sin of the crowds who were so easily corrupted, the sin of the Roman leaders who cared about their power more than justice, the sin of the soldiers and their cruelty, the sin of the cynics who insulted the very one who was dying for them. And the list goes on. But it stands as a witness to the fact that it was the sin of humanity, yes, our sin, that made it all necessary and caused it to happen. Who was responsible for that? We are. All of us. Yes, it was us. And he still chose to die for us. And that's how amazing indeed is God's grace. Let's think about that during these days. During this week, let's meditate on that and pray and praise God for his amazing grace. May the Lord be with you and bless you.